Hey, it's Tara, and I'm popping in before we kick off this first episode of 2020 with a special announcement. Over the last four years, I've focused more and more on asking my guests what's really working for them. No hype, no gimmicks, no shiny objects. They tell me the sometimes simple, often messy, frequently idiosyncratic ways they make their businesses work. My goal is to dispel the myth that there's a right way to do business or that the latest Sherbet online course is the missing piece to the puzzle of your success. Week after week, I share stories of what works for our guests so that you can tune in to what works for you. I hope you've started to pay attention to what's working and what's not, and that you're learning to prioritize the small actions that make the biggest difference in your business. And... I know that paying attention to and prioritizing what works for you can be a lonely endeavor. It can be confusing, slow, and even a bit overwhelming. After all, paying attention to and prioritizing what works is the journey of entrepreneurship. And that's why, in just a few weeks, What Works is rolling out a brand new experience designed to help you solidify your habit of paying attention to what works for you, connecting with other small business owners doing the same, and developing the confidence you need to truly lead your business. It's called 100 Days of What Works. Each weekday over 100 days, you'll receive a prompt, experiment, or assignment so you can start your day focused on what works for you. Each day's task will take 20 minutes or less to complete so your new habit can fit easily into your morning routine or daily workflow. Each week, you'll spend one day focused on marketing and sales, one on product and business model development, one on money, one on operations, and one on mindset. Plus, you'll have the chance to share your work and reflections in a private area inside the WhatWorks network. We're putting the finishing touches on 100 days of what works right now. So if you're ready to prioritize what works for you and your business in 2020, you'll want to get on our waiting list. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash 100. That's explorewhatworks.com slash the number 100. Enter your name and email address, and we'll be in touch with the details very soon. And this is one of the things that I've always been good at, but I, a lot of the entrepreneurs I talk to sometimes struggle with is that you really just have to do it and fail. I think you just have to go forth and try and figure out what's gonna go right and what's gonna go wrong because if something's going right, you do not learn from it. One of my most important personal commitments from last year was to work the system. In other words, I wanted to stop constantly reinventing the wheel, stop breaking things that weren't broken, and stop looking for new novel things to add to my plate. I wanted to take the systems that we had as a company and work them. No more pretending that I didn't have to follow the procedure or document my work just because I was the boss. No more excuses for why my tasks weren't getting checked off or the process wasn't getting completed. Just working the systems we had, making them better, and following through until every last item was crossed off the list. And by and large, I was pretty successful. And I confirmed this with my team to make sure I wasn't just blowing smoke up my own butt. What I've discovered as I've embraced working the system is that against all odds, I actually love it. In fact, now that I've been working the systems for a year, I see systems everywhere. I see how they make things better and how they make me better. And I relish getting those systems set up and figuring out how they can become more effective. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening 
to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. Since I've decided to finally embrace not only having systems in my business, but actually using them myself, I thought it would be fun to kick off the new year at What Works by focusing on project management. In other words, what does it take to make sure that the projects we start are projects we can finish? And how do different kinds of projects take on different forms as we use tools to track and complete them? And how do different kinds of business owners approach managing projects differently? This month, we're going to take a look at how a book coach manages the creative process for her clients. We'll examine why communication and setting expectations is so important in complex projects with an on-demand CFO and cash flow analyst. And we'll find out how a conference planner sees his events from vision to final invoice paid. Plus, we've also asked a panel of small business owners to share the tools they use to manage their projects and why they love them. You'll hear about software like ClickUp, Asana, Trello, and Notion, so you can make a more informed decision about what will work for you. But today, we're starting with a look at managing massive multi-layer projects. Dana Kay is the founder of Kay Publicity, a publicity agency specializing in helping authors get media coverage for their books. As you'll hear, publicity projects aren't exactly linear. It's not just a list of tasks that need to be completed step by step. There's traditional media to go after. There are influencers to reach out to. There is content the team needs from authors, and there are conversations that need to be had with the publisher. Each type of media is another layer in the project. Each layer is owned by a different member of the team, and each has a different time frame and a different database to work from. I wanted to know exactly how she keeps it all straight and manages each project. Dana and I talk about the tools she uses to manage their multi-layer projects, how she works with team members to facilitate how each project is executed, and how she tracks progress on each project. Now, let's find out what works for Dana Kay. Dana Kay, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. I was so excited when I saw this on the calendar today. I'm looking forward to chatting. Absolutely. Me too. And I am so glad to have you back on the show. And we're talking about something completely different today. Mm -hmm. We're talking about project management. And you manage a lot of projects. In fact, you manage a lot of multi-layered projects. And we're going to talk about the different layers of those projects as we go here. But first, um, let's kind of set the stage. What does a typical engagement look like for you, for your agency with one of your book publicity clients? So when an author accepts our proposal to work with us on a full service campaign, those campaigns typically run six to seven months. The idea behind that is that one, galleys, which are the advanced books, are available six to seven months in advance, but also many of the monthly and quarterly magazines operate on that lead time. So when you guys are reading the magazines for like the holiday issues, those are actually being pitched in June and July. It's very strange. So the idea is that if we engage with a client that far out, we will have the opportunity to get in those publications around launch time. And so we start off with, in the six to seven month range, we start with those long lead publications, those that kind of outreach or any other outreach that say like reviewers who are very popular, like those who review for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, who get a lot of books and may need some extra time to read the ones we're sending. They will be pitched also that far out. 
And then while that is happening, the on we're doing their online presence evaluation, their email marketing calendar, basically getting their online house in order. So when those outlets click our pitches and go to their website, it's not a dumpster fire. It's like very <laughs> clean and the messaging's all there and easy for them to get the bio or the headshot or the book cover image, whatever they may need. And then we kind of back into everything. So we, after those long lead media outlets, we'll start with the let's say mid-range outlets, uh, we'll start maybe booking some podcasts or some weekly magazines or weekly newspapers. We'll also start pitching guest articles or op-eds, things that people don't need to necessarily read the book because the other piece of publishing is that budget is always an issue and we always have a limited number of copies. So sometimes we get 100 books to play with, sometimes we get 10. Oh <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, we've, we've done some very creative things with uh, PDFs and FedEx and Kinko's and those sorts of places. Um, but so once we run out of books, that's when we'll start pitching some of the interviews, some of the guest articles, things that they don't necessarily need to read the book. And then once we get closer to publication, we reach out to most of the online outlets. We usually get finished copies of the book, like the actual print book in anywhere from four to six weeks before pub. And so then we'll start pitching influence, you know, Instagram influencers. We call them bookstagrammers, um, the booktubers, which are the vloggers who talk about books, b- book bloggers, anywhere that is basically an online outlet that could, in theory, get the book today and post something tomorrow. Those are pitched four to six weeks out. So it's interesting because all of these things, like we start contacting so many people so far in advance. And our goal is that the week the book comes out, everything lands. So the magazine reviews, the newspaper reviews, the podcast interviews, everything lands during that launch week or close to that launch week so that we generate the feeling that everyone is talking about this book because that's what makes people pick up books. And I know you're a reader, Tara, like when you think about why you picked up the last book you read, I would guess that some of it had to do with multiple people were recommending it, or it seemed like multiple people that you respect their opinion had been reading it. And so now you're going to take the leap to actually read it. Yeah, absolutely. Although I will say I can also be a book contrarian and if everyone is reading (laughs) it, I will not read it, (laughs) but I really try hard not to do that. (laughs) I'm like that too. But so what we focus on, I think I get like that when it's like really in the zeitgeist, like uh-huh. I did not read the Goldfinch specifically right. because everyone in mainstream media was talking about this book and I did pick it up eventually and it isn't for me. Um, but I think what it is, is when people in my bubble, like in my mm-hmm. zone of people are all reading it, then I tend to want to gravitate toward it. And that's what the other strategy we use is it's not just slapdash anyone who could potentially talk about the book should talk about the book. We really focus on who is our typical reader and where are they learning about books. So it may they may be listening to NPR. They may be going to their local library and asking their librarian. They may be listening to books podcasts. And so we try to hit people multiple times, but there's books that in some groups it feels like everyone is talking about it. And then there's other groups that have never heard of the book because they're not the target audience. Got it. Okay, so you have just outlined for us what is essentially a massive, multi-layered, six to seven month 
project that all has to come to fruition in a single week. (laughs) (laughs) No, that (laughs) sounds terrifying. Um, But that is why you are here. And that is why we were talking about project management (laughs) with you. So So I can talk about terrifying things. (laughs) Yeah. So let's start at the very beginning, um, because I want to know like what it actually looks like when you're setting up one of these projects from the get-go. What are the kinds of different pieces that you're putting together? So once you've closed a deal with a prospect, how do you go about setting up that project so that you can track those different pieces of the puzzle so that they do all come to fruition when you want them to come together? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because we pride ourselves. There's lots of different kinds of publicists out there, and there's lots of book publicists that do packages and do certain types of outreach, like just do podcasts or just do online. And we always, for us, we've always prided ourselves on, we believe that no two books are exactly the same, so no two campaigns should look exactly the same. And for a long time, I'd love to say that I always had a system but that is absolutely not true. And for a long time, I was like, well, everything is tailored. So I'm going to tailor everything and the same, the different processes are going to be different, all these things. But I realized that, yes, the outlets, the angles, the talking points, those are all different for each book, but the trajectory is actually the same and it is 100% okay to template and system systematize. And so What we have tried different ways, but here's what's currently working. We, the proposal is usually broken out into three sections, publicity, marketing, and sometimes community outreach. Community outreach is if we're doing events, book festivals, speaking gigs, if we're trying to get corporate partners or nonprofits, maybe we're going to do a joint fundraiser or something. So it's usually broken out into those three pieces. One of my three publicists own everything in publicity me and the digital marketer split up the marketing piece. Usually it's me doing the strategy and her doing the deliverables. And then the community outreach almost entirely rests on our um, publicity and events associate. So it's fairly easy to break those up. So once we have a new client, thank goodness for Zapier, I have created, this has been my big project for 2019 is to create these automations because not necessarily only to save time, but to make sure I don't forget something. Like I think that Mm. the automations help prevent human error. And so when someone fills out our, we have an intake form. So when someone's like, okay, yes, here's the proposal. Yes, let's do it. They get a welcome to the KP crew email with a link to an Airtable form where they upload their mailing address, their phone number, their email, their headshot, their approved headshot, their social media handles, their um, book cover image. And we're actually just going to start adding um, the contact at their publisher because that's been, that has not been systematized yet. And so we're going to add that to the contact form. And when that happens, it triggers a number of things. It triggers an email to my bookkeeper to set, to create um, her stuff in QuickBooks. You can technically trigger something to auto-populate in QuickBooks, but the bookkeeper is like, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So she gets an email with the proposal and all the contact information so that um, she can break out the invoicing, put put the the client into our database, et cetera. It also triggers to create a project in Asana and a client and project in Toggle, which is our timekeeping app. And so with that, 
the te- there's a template in Asana that has all of the basic things that we do for every author. So it's like galley follow-ups, supplemental inquiries, like long lead outreach, short lead outreach, podcast outreach, and all that's broken out and it's assigned. And then I notify the team, the team goes through and puts in their own due dates. One of the things that I have been working on as a going from a manager to a leader, thanks Mm -hmm. to some of your esteemed guests that have been on the show. Um, I am working on focusing on outcomes versus tasking everything out for them. So if Julia, one of our publicists, is owning all the media outreach for this client, then I'll check in with her to see, like, how is it going? So like today, we have our, our morning meetings where we talk about all our clients And she said, there's one client where she contacted like a hundred outlets and just no one is biting. Mm. She's like, what am I missing? And so now I have a task in my Asana to go through, look at some outlets, come up with some ideas for different types of angles or different types of contacts and help her achieve her goal. So the automations help the onboarding process. And then throughout, while our, our team members are owning the actual work and the actual, or most of the actual deliverables, I'm my role is to coach them and to help them to make sure they are meeting the goals and that we are succeeding for the client. Awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what it actually looks like that your team members are owning specific outcomes? How does that actually play out, say, in Asana or in your different systems? Sure. So we send we do monthly reporting to our we do monthly reporting to our clients um I, there's one other system we use it's fairly new it's called propel um it's propelmypr.com and it is a crm specifically for pr professionals so if any of you guys are listening in pr and marketing i highly recommend re- recommend it there's so much data tara it's like oh i can see who's opened the emails i can see who responded i can see how often someone is opening the emails. Mm. I could see like who are, I could search like our top contacts for this, with this tag. So if they like mystery novels, I can see like our top five contacts in mystery. Who are they based on what they've covered? And because we can see like what they've, like which books they've covered, which books they passed on. And so we do use that to organize our outreach. And so every month we run a report and it basically breaks down for each client who's been contacted, and if they responded, declined, wanted more information, if an article has been secured, if an article has been published, all of that. So I check in there twice a month-ish Oh wow! Um, to make sure that everything is going smoothly. Like I will say I couldn't necessarily have done this two years ago um, because we didn't have as strong of a team. Our team, I trust wholeheartedly. Uh, Julia, who's our publicity manager, I think has bet. I don't think I know she has better media contacts than I do because she's pitching them mm. all the time, um, and I no longer am. But the my role is to make sure that they're on the right track and to make sure I'm supporting them if they're not. So if I do a report and I see, ooh, we had a hundred people contacted, and fifty of them said no, like wrote, wrote back and said no, that means we're not hitting. Like it's not the right outlet, it's not the right angle, it's not going to appeal to them. But if we pitched 100 outlets and no one opened the email, then that's a pitch issue. That's a subject line mm-hmm. issue. And so or a time of day issue or whatever it is. So like we I can using that data, I can help coach 
some of the the team members who may be so in the weeds that they don't have time to like take that broad, that high level look. So I think that this is my role is to really take an overall strategy and overall look of the campaign and make sure and just keep pivoting and making sure that everyone's on the right track and everyone has what they need to get the job done because they're so in the weeds that they may not see what I'm seeing. Yeah. You'll hear more about how Dana Kay manages multi-layer publicity projects in just a moment. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that you've already started growing an audience through social media, an email list, YouTube channel, or podcast. That's what I did, too. I gathered an audience around my blog, social content, and this very podcast, but it always felt a a little flat, a little one-sided, like I was shouting out into the ether hoping someone would respond. And even though I knew thousands of people were paying attention, I didn't always feel connected to them. If I'm not connected to them, it's hard to create content and offers that serve them. Then I found Mighty Networks. What makes a Mighty Network different from anything else available is the way that it connects your people, not just to you and your content, but to each other, all in one place, under your brand, on every device. It means that your community on a Mighty Network gets more valuable to every member with each new person who joins. Not only do you have 100% access to each and every one of your members, unlike many other platforms, but a Mighty Network is designed to spark connections and conversations conversations between your members so they build relationships with each other and not just you. You start to see exactly how you and your business can help. You notice exactly what they need from you to take the next step, make a change and transform their lives. Truly connecting with your audience is good for business and it's good for them too. Intrigued? It's time to get started with Mighty Networks. You can start your Mighty Network free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by Bench Tax. Will you be getting the most out of every dollar you spent in 2019? And are you prepared to make the most of every dollar you're spending in 2020? And even more importantly, do you have a partner who can make understanding your business tax deductions as simple and carefree as possible? This year, Bench can help you do it all. Bench is the people-powered bookkeeping solution that helps you get the most out of every dollar you spend on your business. But now, Bench has gotten even better. Now you can work with Bench to not only make sure your books are in order and your business finances are managed, but your business taxes are filed too. From start to finish, Bench Tax gives you a centralized, all-in-one tax filing solution. You'll have your own totally aligned and super smart team to get you through tax season without the stress. And you'll rest assured knowing that you're getting the most out of every dollar this year. Plus, Bench Tax is a fast and affordable way to make sure your taxes are handled. To get started with Bench, go to explorewhatworks.com slash bench. That's explorewhatworks.com slash bench. So this is actually, this is one of my big hangups with project mm-hmm. management is navigating having to 
like recognize the individual tasks being completed, the individual pieces of a project being completed, and keeping my eye on the big picture, whether it's the big picture of that particular project, or whether that's how that project fits into a larger segment of the business and the goals that I have with that. Can you I guess I'm curious what your relationship is to those <laughs> to to those two pieces of project management and how you maybe how your relationship with each of them has evolved as your business has grown. Yeah, we have we're interesting entrepreneurs. We are interesting individuals in that many of us have the ability to both do the work and have the vision. Mm-hmm. And and yet, sometimes it's that in-between phase that we're really bad at. Mm-hmm. Like if you know, we're really good at like getting in the weeds and getting stuff done. We're also really good at coming up with ideas and casting a vision for our company. But it's the breaking down the tasks, scheduling out the tasks, the moving the chess pieces around so we're not just doing everything at once and leading to burnout. That's where a lot of us, I think, struggle. It's that middle piece. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I have attempted to do, and I'd love, again, I'd love to say that this is, this, I knew this all along, but none of us <laughs> did. When, when, we're, when we're starting out, we're, we're solopreneurs, we're doing everything ourselves, and we're on this, it, it feels like we're on a treadmill. We're trying to keep up with the client demands while also getting new clients, while also looking at a vision for the company, while also somehow doing all our bookkeeping and keeping the IRS at, at bay. And so- now that we've built out a team, because I technically know how to do each piece of this puzzle, it's a lot easier for me to see, ooh, this may be a problem or, ooh, like this, we may need to pivot this. So I think that, and I'm going to get more to the answer of your question. I'm just trying to like give the foundation. No, so great. I think the the key really is to be we can't be so in the visionary seat, the CEO seat, I believe, that we are so disconnected from the day-to-day tasks. I think that that's what gets a lot of entrepreneurs in trouble because I think we're so high level and thinking about, okay, the future and new business models and new th- opportunities and new things that we may be losing sight of the current clients, the current deliverables, the current things. So making sure that like if I focus on like a bigger project and the process of and the progress of that individual project versus the the tasks underneath that project it will it helps me achieve that middle ground it's mm. not just like these are the types of clients we are wanting to work with high level it's here are our clients here are their books how are we doing right like <laughs> if if i can run a report and i can see okay they've been pitched for these outlets these aren't hitting or we Let's say we tried to book, we did a lot of event booking. So, so some of our authors are published by Amazon has a publishing arm. And so a number of our authors are published by their imprints, like mm-hmm. Union, Thomas and & Mercer. And so I can sit here, you know, our, our events person is like, I don't know why no one's booking this, like this author. He's so great. He's going to build, an, build, has a built an audience. Why are these bookstores not wanting him? And I can just look at the overall project and be like, oh, they see he's published by Amazon and the indie bookstores are like, boo, Amazon, and don't want him. And she's like, oh, that's why. So our role is to have that 
So I can look at these individual projects and kind of see, oh, these are some patterns I'm seeing. These are some problems. And this is how we maybe need to pivot where our team members, most of our team members, some of them are visionaries, but most people who aren't entrepreneurs, they're in their role because they want to do well in their role, not because they want to start their own companies, right? right? Like there's a reason they're there. I think a lot of our... Um, not beef. A lot of our struggle with team members sometimes they were like, they don't think like I do. And they're just like, yes, of course, they're not supposed to think like you do. Right. If you did, they would be going off on their own. So a lot of our team members are really good at executing tasks and, and delivering on projects, but they're often so in the weeds, which is where they should be um, at the moment that I can come in and be like, oh, I see this pattern overall, or I see this pattern with other clients. And here's how I can be of service so that we make sure our projects are moving forward. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Let's, um, get a little bit more in the weeds for a minute. Um, at least before I have more big picture questions, cause they're going to come. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> to me that you use a lot of recurring tasks in Asana. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through how you use recurring tasks to keep projects on track? Okay, so we have this is we use a free Asana account, so I'll preface this. So we don't have fun- all the functionality of a paid account. This is a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. But we I have a there's three things we do. We have a book launch campaign template that has all of the basic things that go into almost all of the campaigns. So when we have a new client, I hit duplicate. It's it's like titled book launch campaign template. And then I duplicate it. And then we, everyone is assigned already, like, because we know who pretty much owns most of the, most of the tasks and most of the things are owned by the same people. And then they go out and they'll put in their due dates and they'll create subtasks and they'll, they'll piece it out together on their own. So it's basically a, it's basically a checks and balances kind of thing where, you know, we could take the proposal and create individual tasks, but sometimes things get lost or things like sometimes little steps in the process. So for example, in the proposal, it will say secure reviews in trade outlets, daily newspapers, and book blogs. There are like five steps to each of those. You have to create the list, create the press materials, pitch the list, follow up with the list, make sure everyone who requested a book got their book, those sorts of things. So that is all broken out in the book launch campaign template. So to assure, to make sure that we don't miss out on anything. We also have a templates project in it are tasks and subtasks that are templates for things that we do often. So basically one, let's say one is for an event booking. So when an event is booked, Haley will duplicate the task as like event booking and we'll change the project, put it in the right client's project put it in, um, re- retitle it to say, I don't know, Body by Starfleet. That's high on my mind right now, <laughs> um, which I think you got. I did. It just um, came two days ago. I'm very woo-hoo. excited. Body by Starfleet, a Star Trek workout book. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> so it will, and the events we're booking for it are also amazing. I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it'll say, so the sub, the big task will say like Body by Starfleet, Star Trek cruise event which is a thing. And all the subtasks will be notify, publish, notify Julia for local media outreach. Uh, Make sure bookstore has ordered books. That's two weeks out. One week out, make sure the books have arrived. Create a graphic to promote on social media. So all the things that go into every event booking 
are there so we don't forget. These are like little things, right? Calling the bookstore to make sure books are ordered is a little thing that makes a huge difference because there's definitely been times where we get to a bookstore and the bookstore is like, oh, the books never came. Yep. And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. So knowing that this is all taken care of is a, makes a huge impact, um, puts our clients at ease so much. So there's tasks like that that have the subtasks, have all the steps, so that we can just duplicate it every time an event is booked. Um, for me, for a proposal, um, this gets really nitty gritty. When, I, to, when I'm taking on a new client, I have to read their book. So we only take on books that I truly believe in. And if it's not my reading taste, I may pass it to a team member to make sure it's their reading taste and it's not just me. Um, so the But reading a book isn't something you do in an hour. That's a long time. So like the proposal process, the template for a proposal is read, the subtests are read 50 pages, read 100 pages, read 200 pages, finish the book, write the proposal. Because what I was doing is I'm on the phone with them. I'm like excited. There's a new client. And I'm just writing us on a proposal for this person on this date. That's like a week worth of yeah. work that I need to break out. So these recurring tasks are based, not recurring, these templates, and I can get to recurring tasks in a moment. These templates, what they do is they help ensure no part of this big process is dropped. And all the, all the team members customize it. No one it's just like, oh, this is perfect as is. They customize it to their own liking, but it's in there so that it doesn't fall through the cracks. For recurring tasks, one of the biggest struggles when this this summer in particular, we were super, super busy. Not a bad thing, although I think everyone was like pretty mad at me, <laughs> like when they're like, summer is supposed to be slow and we are we had a lot of books launching. Um, and it was it was all good, but it was stressful. And so one of the things that tends to fall through the cracks is research and I won't say bookkeeping, that's the wrong word, but like getting our back ends tidied up or like tying up loose ends and things like that, those tend to fall through the cracks. So I set recurring tasks for our research assistant to research new podcasts, research new bloggers, check and see if bloggers are still posting. Because, you know, how many of us have had a blog that we just abandoned and you know, we're pitching these people, but we haven't checked to make sure they're still posting. And so we have recurring tasks set up to make sure these sorts of things that tend to be put on the back burner don't fall off entirely. So I think if there's any part of your of your overall business that tends to you tend to forget, set it as a recurring task because if it's in a sauna, you're probably going to do it. It's this gamification or like psychology of it. Because to say, like, I am deleting this task, that's big. Mm -hmm. Like, you are acknowledging that this is not important. Um, and so if it is important, it will get done versus something that you just have in the back of your mind that you hope gets done at some point. Love it. Um, I want to follow up on one thing, which was you mentioned, like, the previous misstep of looking at a, a big project, like getting a proposal done. Well, big in in terms of time not necessarily big in terms yes. of the overall scheme of the projects you actually work mm -hmm. on but you know something that takes longer than say 20 minutes um and you said that you often forgot about or you know underestimated the little bits of things that need to happen before you can actually get a proposal out the door in your case actually reading the book 
Um, how have you, what have you done to get better at actually recognizing the little pieces of a project that add up to the thing actually getting done as opposed to just seeing the thing as the task itself? Does that make sense? It does. I think that you have to fail first. <laughs> so I think because we we think really highly of ourselves. So we assume that we are going to get so much done. Like we are really ambitious. We as humans, we think that we're going to do so much more than we actually maybe have capability of. So to say, read a book a week. I'm just like, I read every day. That's no biggie. I would just assume. But what happens when I'm traveling, I have client events at night, uh, you know, there's something else coming up. And all of a sudden, I, I usually read at night. Um, and so to say like, no, you actually have all these events, and you're not going to read at night, because you're going to come home late and just want to go to bed. And how you're going to actually have to read during your workday, and you need to allocate time to do that. So I think failing is one. I remember also, there was one book that I didn't realize, because so we get manuscripts, so I read on my um, Kindle or my iPad, and I didn't realize how long it was. And I can usually, it takes me probably a total of four to six hours to finish a book. Mm -hmm. So I can break that down in my head that if I, it's like a week to do a proposal, I read an hour a day and that will be fine. But I didn't realize it was a thousand page book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing and I loved it, but I'm reading and reading and I'm like, why am I still at like 20%? <gasps> like, And then I like pulled up the manuscript on my computer and saw that it was um, yeah, it was a thousand pages because it had a lot of like foot. It was a huge sci-fi saga. Oh. It was amazing. Um, but it just, I needed more time. And same with the, and sometimes things surprise you. So like we are in the midst of planning a virtual writers conference, which is also going to be awesome. And so I assumed that coordinating multiple speaker schedules was going to be really tricky. So I gave myself multiple weeks to follow up with the speakers, you know, look at the timeline and finalize everything but they all got back to me in like an hour. And so now it's finalized oh, nice. and now I can move everything up. So I think the biggest thing is to just recognize when you, when you fail, like when you are late to deliver on something, you realize, oh, this is actually multiple steps. And then also vi visualizing potential hiccups. So if you are, let's say one of the things we do is we write, we either write or just format our clients' newsletters and a lot of the times they need to give us copy. So Haley, who does all of that for them, they, she would email them like two days before and say, hey, ready to do your newsletter. Do you have any copy? And they would inevitably say, oops, forgot, and take another week. And so she was constantly behind on those things. So then she just moved her task up to, if we want to send it out on the 10th, we email them on the 1st and ask for the copy. And if it's going to need approval, we know which clients are maybe need more back and forth, which clients I don't think even look at the test, the test email and just let it go. And so I think so much of this, and this is one of the things that I've, I've always been good at, but I, a lot of the entrepreneurs I talk to sometimes struggle with is that you really just have to do it and fail. Like, I, I think you just have to go forth and try mm -hmm. and figure out what's going to go right and what's going to go wrong. Because if something's going right, you do not learn from it. Right. Like, if I had done this writer's conference and I was like, oh, so a writer's conference takes one hour to prepare. Great. <laughs> right? I've done other events, so I know this is an anomaly, but you don't necessarily learn from these successes. You learn from these failures. And so 
if you're just so caught up and I have to get my systems exactly right and my process is exactly right, and I'm not ready to take on a client until this is exactly right, you're going to miss out. One, you're going to miss out on some money and growing your clientele or growing your customer base. But you're also not going to know what works because what works for some is not going to work for others. You can read a gajillion articles on the best project management tools or 10 things I wish I knew when I started a service-based business. You could be listening to me right now and like hear all these things that I'm doing and it will not work in your business. And so I think the important thing is to try these different things and see what works for you. And you can't do that unless you start. Yes. And you can't do that unless you fail, too. And I think, you know, we're always trying to avoid failure instead of using it as a learning tool, like you've just outlined. So yes, huge, completely agree. Um, Okay, so another thing that you had mentioned to me before we got started was that you've got a few different tools that you're using in addition to Asana. You've mentioned one already, the the Propel uh, CRM tool, but what are some of the other tools that you're using to manage things like media outreach and influencer relationships, um, and how do they sort of integrate with your larger project management in Asana? Yeah. So this is high on my mind because I think, like I said, we were, this is all focus. This is the focus of this year is like streamlining processes and streamlining our tools and getting rid of duplications and redundancies. It's an ongoing process. And the best way to realize what you need is to build a team, yes. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see, oh, that information is in my head and not anywhere that anyone can access it. And so, the in addition, so Asana is for project management. CR, the CRM Propel is for like the media outreach, and then we have two. We have databases. So we subscribe to a media database called Cision, C I S I O N. It's again very specific to PR people. It's not the best, but it's the only one. Right. <laughs> so we all use it. Um, it, you know, because what Cision does is they update the database and because media is such a revolving door, it would take a lot of work on our part to make sure our media contacts are always up to date. So when someone leaves or someone is replaced, that information is updated in Cision. So it's, it's worth the subscription for that. But for other people, that's good for traditional media, but they are not good at bloggers and influencers, so we or podcasters. There's not a great podcast community in there. So we use Airtable, which I know you're mm-hmm. a fan of. Uh, we use Airtable for our influencer database and our podcast database. So when we do th- this, is the other piece. This <laughs> getting into like the big picture. So our, our Haley, our digital marketing person, does all of the influencer outreach, the bookstagrammers, the vloggers. We publish, we don't publish, we promote anywhere from three to six books each month. So each month, she is going to be pitching to these influencers anywhere from three to six books, potentially. So she, based on all the filtering systems we use, like we, every influencer has a tag of, I review of what genres they like. If there's any, you know, some don't like violence, some don't like cursing, some don't like you know, everyone's different quirks and preferences. So every month she pulls a list and fills in which books we're pitching them. So there's like 10 people who are going to be pitched these two books and 30 people who are going to be pitched just this one book and 15 people who are going to be pitched all of our books. And Airtable keeps this all organized and she keeps it all organized. And so going back to this big picture thing is 
if we were just in the weeds pitching individually, we would realize, oh, this one person could in theory read all th- like all three of these books, but then we pitched only one. So now can we like go back to that person in the same month or can we not? So she uses Airtable for the database, but then also to pull lists and to create our outreach for that month. Am I you still with yeah, me on this? Totally with <laughs> okay. you. Amazing. <laughs> it's yeah, and I I'm happy to you know share. I can't share contact information, but I I can see if I can share like a template link um, in Airtable so they can see what we're talking about. Yeah. So great. the so our t- database of influencers is all there, and what I also like is Airtable can talk to each other. We kind of linked records; they can talk to each other. So like when let's say one. In one blogger who's never responded finally responds and gives their mailing address, we can up the, the database updates with their mailing address. So we have that for the next time. So we use Airtable for all of that. We also use Airtable for our content calendars. So for me, for brand, I have a platform called Branding Outside the Box where I help entrepreneurs through my podcast and through my newsletter. And so I have a content calendar for that that I is in Airtable. And then we also manage a lot of our clients' social media. And so we use Airtable to outline like when they're publishing, when they have a newsletter going out, when they have YouTube videos, what the co- what the content should be. So for one of our clients, we have she creates a lot of content. And so we tell her the dates, the due dates. And what we need from her, like what kind of content we need, and she drops the file in Airtable, and then we're all ready to schedule and promote. So Airtable is used for our databases, our influencer outreach, and our content calendars. Fantastic. And I think those are all of the systems. I'm going to like <laughs> probably forget one. We use QuickBooks for bookkeeping, okay. but I think that that, and for payroll and for all that. Um, but I, yeah, I think that that is, Airtable is a really, I really like it. My, my goal, although... Some people are resistant, but my goal is to not use spreadsheets in 2020. Ooh, I love moving, it. I know. We are moving forward, but there's still like, I'm like, why is there a spread? Who put this spreadsheet here? <laughs> um, and it's because we get like lists from the publisher. Like there's reasons. I understand there's reasons. Um, and, but yeah, I'm really trying to give up spreadsheets. Oh, and we also use Airtable for event booking. So mm. this is another great thing is that, each client has a tab for their events, and then we have a master list. So again, with linked records, we can just pull from the linked records, and then we are build as we're pitching new clients for new demographics and new new cities, new types of bookstores. We're also in the process building up our database. So it all happens in tandem, which is what I really like because before we would just pitch for this individual client, we would set up a ten city book tour, and then that would be it. And then when we go to set up the next tour, we'd have to be like, oh, who has been in that city before? Mm. Or like who, which bookstore likes Amazon authors and which ones don't? Like which one will do this and which ones won't? So what I like is because using Airtable's linked records, every time we reach out to a bookstore, it automatically updates the main database so that we can more seamlessly pull information when it's time to book the next round of events. Fantastic. Fantastic. I love it. Um, Okay. There's one piece of the puzzle I haven't asked you about. Well, there's probably many pieces of the puzzle that I haven't (laughs) asked you about yet, but there's one more that I want to ask before we run out of time here. And that is, 
what is the level of your client's involvement in their own projects? So are mm. you giving them access to, to Asana? Are you giving them access to any of the Airtable information? Or are they largely doing their own thing while you guys manage everything? So the reason people hire us is because they don't want to deal with it, right? honestly. Like, I, I'd love to be like, oh, they want to know every step of the process. No, these authors need to write some books. Like they, we have authors. One of our authors has five books coming out this year. Whoa. It's insane. And they're not short. He's writing a George Romero posthumous tie-in called The Living Dead. And it's, I think, 800 pages. Um, so these are not short books. They have, and they have, a lot of them have day jobs. A lot of them have other projects. They hire us, at least the ones who hire us for a full service campaign are hiring us to do the work. So they are not involved. What they are involved in is, so if we are doing their social media or we're doing their newsletter, they have access to their content calendar, like their unique Airtable, because they need to drop in files or drop in graphics, or we drop in the graphics and they add the captions. But also a lot of them are not super tech savvy. So they just want to email us. So like, for example, one of our authors, he was emailing us all the social media content and it was clogging up my inbox and giving me hives. And so now he sends it with an SM subject and it just goes into a file. Oh, brilliant. That's fine. Yeah. So like he doesn't want to, he doesn't know what Airtable is. He like looked at it. He goes, I'm confused. I don't understand. I was like, fine, just email us. It will all go into that folder. And once a week, Haley goes through and pulls it and puts it where it needs to go and just responds, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it to all the emails. So he knows that there's no loose ends. So most of our clients are not involved at all. The They get a once a month summary of what's been done. And as things happen, they're notified because you don't need to wait till the end of the month to hear that like the New York Times is reviewing your book. You can hear that in the moment. Right. And so we give them, we give them Word document reports of what's been done, what's still outstanding, et cetera. We also give them a itinerary if they are, let's say, having, let's say that one that launch week is busy because ideally everything is hitting all at once. So they'll have an itinerary for all their events, for their podcast interviews, for um, radio interviews. If they have to go into a television station, they'll have a Word document itinerary so they know exactly where they need to go and they can print it off. Um, again, a lot of our authors are very savvy, but they're they're savvy when it comes to business and branding and marketing, but they're old school. Like if you're, and I, I kind of agree, like if you're going to embark on a 10 city tour where you're you're off on the road for 10 days, you just want to like t- look at your pa- piece of paper mm-hmm. and it'll tell you where to go and what to do. You don't want to have to think about it. So our authors tend to be not involved in the process, but they are, they're, they're updated as things happen. And then there's others who are more involved um, based on their needs. We have one author who likes a biweekly phone call. We have one client, we have a publisher client who we're working on. They publish, we work on about 20 books a year for them. Mm-hmm. So we we touch base once a week for like 10 minutes. So we, we're very, I'm very flexible and I'm also not shy about saying, I think I'm talking to you too much and I want to talk to other people about you. Got it. That's a good and, line. <laughs> so, and usually they're like, oh, yes. Or sometimes not. Like there's sometimes moments of like they need, they need to talk to somebody and I understand yeah. that. So we're very flexible, but we're, I'm also very honest about where our, 
like lines should be. And then they can make the choice because ultimately they're hiring us. And if I let them know I'm concerned about this and they know that concern, they're never like our client who likes the biweekly phone call. She has never said, you didn't do enough on my behalf this month. Mm-hmm. She knows the value that I'm bringing. So she's never like, if the summary is really light one month, she's never like, oh, you didn't do enough. She knows, she she sees value in what we're currently doing. So that's how we communicate. I know that Propel does allow you to share your da- share the dashboard. I know, I believe one of the um, my fellow PR people, um, Bridget Lyons, will share some of her Airtable outreach with her clients. So I think every publicist is different and every every service provider is different. So if your clients are very type A involved people, like if you're serving entrepreneurs, they may want to be a little bit more involved and they may want to see things as they go. But for us, our authors just want to write. Like they hire us because they don't want to do this stuff. They just want to write and then talk about books. Got it. Well, Dana, I could talk to you about this all day long, but we are out of time. <laughs> <You> too. <laughs> um, so before we go, I'd love to hear what you're excited about for 2020. Uh, so your timing could could not have been more perfect because one of the projects we did over the summer was launch a membership site for authors. So this idea of breaking down the PR process and how breaking down every aspect of a book launch campaign I was forced to do it again. I was forced to actually look at what the steps were and get it out of my head and onto a video or a checklist or whatever training is there. And so we did a beta group in the spring and we officially opened in July. It's called Your Breakout Book. And it aims to help authors take charge of their own publicity campaign. So it's step-by-step through the process and along with ongoing trainings that are voted on by the community. So they'll get a survey and they'll say, what do you need next? And if someone's like, I don't understand, I want to do ConvertKit and I don't know how to under- how to do it, or I want to embed this on my website, or I don't know how to pitch this person, then I will create trainings based on the needs of the group. And I'll also update things as they happen. Because I wrote a book about book marketing and what I didn't foresee was that how quickly social media and marketing changes. And that book is still in print. And so things have changed. So the membership site is a great way that I'm able to update videos, update text, and keep it more of like a live thing versus just a static book that someone buys. And then I have to like call them and say, but Goodreads doesn't offer free giveaways anymore. That was in 2016. (laughs) And like, don't have to backtrack on what I stated. Um, So that's what I'm really excited about. And it was a good challenge to break down these projects in a way that anyone is even the least tech savvy authors can execute a successful campaign for their book. Fantastic. Dana Kay, thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes and showing us how you manage these massive book publicity campaign projects. Thank you. It is my pleasure. I will talk to you all day, anytime. Find out more about Dana Kay and Kay Publicity at kpublicity.com. You can also find Dana's podcast, Branding Outside the Box, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, you'll hear how Brooklyn Book Doctor founder Joelle Han helps her clients manage their creative process as she works with them on projects like book proposals and final manuscripts. 
What Works is a production of Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance provided by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Want more of what works in your life and business? Each week, I send out a free curated newsletter with my handpicked resources for building a business that works better. To get your free copy of What Works Weekly, go to explorewhatworks.com. That's explorewhatworks.com.